This podcast hands you the keys to scaling revenue in the SaaS and tech industry fast. Join Mike Williams, CEO of Jetstream Revenue Growth, as he talks with tech and SaaS business leaders who share proven approaches on how to get your revenue to take off. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Jetstream podcast. Uh, really excited to have our guest today. Uh, we have Stefan Aram. He's the Chief Revenue Officer at Unique AI, uh, which is a company uh, that focuses on personalization. Uh, and Stefan talked a lot about the fact that uh, 90 to 98% of the website traffic is anonymous, is an almost completely overlooked. Uh, and one of his really valuable points that he makes in the episode uh, is about creating engagement before you create conversion. I think in a lot of cases as marketers and salespeople, we really focus on the conversion and getting someone to the conversion. We forget about the, the engagement and all the micro conversions uh, along the way. And Stefan made some really great points uh, around this uh, and its importance in the process uh, of you know, your funnel, your sales, your marketing funnel, uh, and getting users from that initial uh, stage, visiting your website or you know, calling your company or, or checking out your company, finding out about your company, uh, to the actual conversion. There's a lot of micro conversions that happen uh, along the way. So pay attention to that and think about how that uh, is impacted uh, in your own business. Uh, now, Stefan talked about three different things uh, being key to revenue growth. He talked about it's a process that needs a strategy. We tried to really clarify the difference between a tactic and a strategy because a lot of startups, as Stefan mentioned, focus on tactics and think they have a strategy, but you need a higher level strategy that has goals and KPIs uh, and, and ways that you're gonna win. And then you execute through those tactics but you also need to be agile. You need to be able to pivot. You need to be able to change your plan uh, and move uh, if needed, especially in those early stages of a company as you're striving for revenue and trying to figure out which path you're going to go down. You need to be able to walk down a path and walk back and go in a different direction if you need before you really start to run. The, th the second thing that Stefan really uh, highlighted was the key to testing and optimizing. You're doing this all the time. You need to always be testing, always be optimizing. And it doesn't matter if it's your... Uh, sales development reps, your SDRs, your uh, you know CRO, your you know uh, marketing team. You need to be testing and optimizing and trying things constantly to try and figure out what works, what drives more conversions. But before that, as as Stefan mentioned, what creates engagement and actually drives users to purchase your product or service. And the third thing, and I, I really uh, you know reinforce this point as well, is you need resources and budget. Uh, you don't need the biggest budget. You don't need all the people in the world or all the time in the world, but you do need resources and budgets put toward revenue growth in order to actually uh, enable it to happen. Uh, and you know, the way I look at resources is it's time, money, and people. Do you have the time for this? Do you have the money to put towards this? And do you have the people? And if you don't have high numbers of those, what can you do within the scope of that? Uh, and this is a really, really important point, especially when you're, when you're thinking about Stefan's second point there about testing and optimizing. You can't test and optimize everything. You need to test and optimize within the scope of your own resources, your time, money, and budget. So, uh, you know, check out the podcast. Uh, have a listen. I think you're going to learn a ton from Stefan. He's got over 20 years of experience in uh, revenue growth uh, with a couple different companies, some big, some small. Uh, and he's got a really ton, a really good uh, amount of great uh, insights uh, to learn from and definitely check him out uh, on LinkedIn as well. So enjoy the podcast. 
and uh, learn what you can about revenue growth from another experienced uh, CRO. All right, welcome to another episode of the Jetstream podcast. I'm super excited to have our guest here today. Today we have Stefan Aram, and he's the Chief Revenue Officer at Unique AI. Uh, now, Stefan has been in SaaS and marketing technology sales and leadership since 2000, before it was even called SaaS or cloud. Uh, he started with an email and data-driven digital marketing, then moved to marketing automation, marketing clouds, personalization, personalization and now AI. Basically, his last 20 years have been focused on digital customer experience. He was at Exact Target, the, the foundation of Salesforce Marketing Cloud, Sale Through, and Dynamic Yield, which was acquired by McDonald's, the restaurant chain, and have all, all have been acquired for about $3 billion, yes, with a B. Most recently, Stefan was, has been the CRO, Chief Revenue Officer at Unique AI, an AI-powered website personalization solution that is automated, works with all types of content, and is focused on visitors, the 90 to 98% of website visitors, most often overlooked by other solutions that typically need CRM data to work well. So Stefan, welcome to the show. It's really great to have you here. Awesome, thank you very much for having me. So, uh, you know, uh, let me tell you a little bit more about Unique AI. Yeah, please do. Unique AI. Um, yeah, so, so it's interesting, you know, in, in all my years in digital customer experience, uh, you know, we, we've moved into trying to personalize the uh, experiences, whether, you know, dear Stefan in an email, and that was kind of cool, and a segmented email and so on. And, uh, you know, e even on websites, you know, the idea of, of, of understanding where people are coming from and, and segmenting them. Surprisingly, very little is being done for that 90 to 98 percent of website traffic that is uh, basically anonymous. You know, they're not cookied. Uh, you know, you don't know who they are. They're not in your CRM. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, they're, they're not coming from email clicks. Um, if you look at Adobe, they say it's 98% out of their customers, 98% of all website traffic is considered anonymous. And now with, you know, the cookies changing and, and the way we're allowed to drop cookies and, uh, you know, how long we can keep them without changing, this is going to get even worse. Mm. So what Unique AI does that's, that's different than anybody else is we actually focus our, you know, AI and machine learning on anonymous visitors so you know basically what we're doing is, is we're capturing what we call anonymous uh, data and creating anonymous behavioral profiles or, or basically an anonymous CRM and we are able to you know apply machine learning models to that and basically it works the same way as as maybe a Facebook or other lookalike audience so if somebody coming to a website. So again, that 90 to 98% that you don't really know who they are and who you're more likely to just, you know, send an offer to or, or serve an offer to. So you get them to buy now or, or subscribe to email so you can drop a cookie and, and, and you know, start uh, adding them to your CRM. What we do is we work with, with those people that are coming in uh, totally anonymous. We look at the source, you know, the data. Did they come from a, a direct entry? Did they come from an ad? Did they come from search? Whatever. You know, where they land, you know, what's the metadata around the content of the page they're landing on. And then on top of that, you know, where are they located? What's the geo? What's the device? What's the browser? All that information. And interestingly enough, even with that little information, we're able to create these, uh, uh, you know, dynamic uh, behavioral profiles so that if, uh, you know, you yourself come to a site and we know where you came from, we know where you landed, we know your geo, 
we probably have dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of people that are very similar to that. And we know what they did. So we know what their next one, two, three steps generally were, including if they were bouncing. Mm-hmm. And so what we're able to do is automatically match up the, the, the most likely next steps you're going to take in terms of your, your content experience. So at the end of the day, you know, if we're able to, to serve up, let's say, three uh, recommendations around content, then we're able to get you to engage much quicker. Uh, interestingly, and one thing we found through through all of our uh, you know uh, customer uh, uh, you know engagements is that uh, it's important to, to engage these anonymous visitors before we try to convert them or or, or you know uh, try to monetize them. And you know what we did when we uh, when we were in the uh, accelerator program with Osmo uh, joining the L'Oreal Canada Innovation Challenge back in 2019 was that you know. On, on most of their sites, when you came net new or you were acquired through you know a paid ad, all they wanted you to do is either buy now or or sign up now. And you know somebody like L'Oreal Canada was seeing 62, 63, 65 percent bounce rates on some of their sites, and they themselves were were, were pretty frustrated with what the you know the results they were getting. And we were actually able to go on there and reduce those uh, uh, you know reduce the bounce rate and uh, significantly increase engagement. So the point. We're trying to say is, you know, a lot of companies are, are looking at that conversion right away when they get mm-hmm. that first visit. You know, we we suggest engagement's more important, and our AI has been able to 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 you know to significantly increase engagement with these net new uh, anonymous visitors to then get them to a point where they'll convert and then ultimately monetize. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, I never really thought about that ninety to ninety eight percent of website visitors that. You know, we kind of just assume, hey, they're anonymous. We don't know much about them. We can't get any information. But I really like this point that you're making about engagement. It makes me think a fair bit about social. You know, the point of social, the main goal of social is to create engagement, not to convert. And we, we're doing the opposite with our website and, and, you know, with a lot of users that need more information. They want to know about the brand. They want to, you know, connect with you. And if we can get them to engage, you can probably likely really increase the amount of people that are converting, not just the conversion rate, but the amount of people that actually start to engage and become customers over time. So I think that's really interesting. And uh, it's interesting to hear about Unique. So, so, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's interesting. You know, we, we see a lot of companies uh, either internally or, 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 or outsourcing, um, bring in people for conversion rate optimization. And again, I think sometimes, the first metric they're looking at is might be the wrong metric. In other mm-hmm. words, they're trying to get the new visitor, the new potential customer to actually do something for them before they, you know, provide any sort of exchange of value. And I think, you know, personally, I've always thought that, uh, you know, whether it's personal relationships, you know, following Stephen Covey's seven habits, you know, you want to invest in that emotional bank account before you withdraw. So I think the whole idea, if you're going to properly uh, run your website, like you said, with, with social, you know, we're trying to get them, in, you know, we're engaging them and then we drive them to the website and now we're asking them for an email or, or buy now to get free delivery or, or what have right. you. So again, engaging them um, not only drives that initial ability to start micro conversions, but, uh, you know, we have historically found, uh, you know, through, through looking through our data that the people that you engage first and don't try to convert first actually um, end up monetizing and at a much higher rate and then, you know, we can factor in lifetime value and so on. But average revenue per user, uh, when we were, uh, uh, you know, uh, doing uh, um, 
uh, you know, doing a, a proof of concept with, with one of the L'Oreal Canada sites, you know, we were up at, uh, you know, almost 10% increase in average wow. revenue per user in 10 days, yeah. in 10 days. That's huge. Amazing. That, that's super interesting. Uh, I definitely uh, want to dig in more on that. Uh, but we're here to talk about revenue growth. Uh, and you're a chief revenue officer, and you've been at this for, you know, 20 some years, 20 plus years. Uh, what are some of the things you've learned about revenue growth uh, over that time and over some of the different companies you've worked at? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I, I think if we all knew what that answer was, you know, what the silver <laughs> bullet was, you know, we wouldn't need the competition and we wouldn't need to pivot and so on and so forth. Right. But, you know, you know, I, I, I think the idea of, of revenue growth, you know, in my mind comes down to sort of three main things. And, you know, uh, it starts with it being a process. And, and I think uh, a lot of the times when, when startups, uh, you, you know, are, are starting up their business, uh, for them, it's a series of tactics, you know, see what sticks and, and, and maybe develop a strategy from that. And that's fine. But, um, you know, I, I feel to do it right, it's a process that starts with a strategy and that has to have a lot of agility in it. You know, we talk about agile and, and, and all this, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's really about, uh, uh, you know, a, a couple of really key things, you know, that process. First, we've always talked about sales and marketing alignment. I think there's also sales and management alignment. That's very important. Um, so, y y you know, knowing what you sell and what you can sell and who you sell it to is important, but also, you know, being agile enough to, to, to understand when, when you're failing or, or, you know, the fail fast mentality and, and then maybe uh, pivoting. So, uh, you know, the second part is I think it requires a lot of testing and optimizing. So you got to test. I, I'm a big believer that you test everything you do. I, I, years ago, uh, you know, before my days in SaaS, I used to use Lotus one, two, three, a spreadsheet and test my messaging, you know, test my direct mail, test my cold calling and, you know, understanding what's working. Was it scientific? Probably not totally scientific, but my, my, my uh, you know, engagement rate and my uh, rate to get meetings and, and, and ultimately close business improved because I did more of what worked and less of what didn't work. <laughs> I think we, you know, the whole idea of revenue growth is, is again, that testing and optimizing. And one of the interesting things about AI, you know, multi-arm bandit algorithms uh, easily tell us that, you know, you can have 10 or 20 things you're testing at the same time. And, you know, let's say you, you steer 80% of, of, of the traffic to a particular page or offer based on what's, what's working best. All of a sudden, something you don't know about may have changed. It could be a news item, something you can't humanly respond to fast enough. And all of a sudden, one of those things that had been getting one or two or 3% of the traffic all of a sudden actually is uh, engaging or converting at a, a higher rate. So a multi-arm banded algorithm would then steer more traffic to that. And one thing, you know, that's where that optimizing occurs. I think you've got to test things that you think will work, but you may also want to test things that may not work, right? The idea is try some wild, wild ideas. In, in some of our recommendation algorithms, uh, when we're doing the personalization of websites at Unique, we'll actually put in a discovery component. So we might recommend five things, but one of those is literally a random thing or, you know, taking a flyer. And in some cases, that's actually uh, engaging at a very high rate. And so, you know, if, if, if you're sending information to somebody that says, you know, they want to buy, you know, um, uh, cycling, a cycling shirt. Well, the fact is, if you throw in a, a water bottle offer, 
um, you know, they may not realize they needed a water bottle, but boom, you know, if you have five spots and you use one like that, all of a sudden, you know, they're looking at a shirt, they might buy the cycling jersey and the water bottle. So again, I think, you know, testing and then optimizing, whether it's manual or automated is important and you got to do it all the time. And, you know, one thing I've learned having worked for, you know, companies, you know, I've worked for Oracle, you know, Fortune 100 company, and I've worked for companies under 10 employees, including uh, uh, Unique, you know, a good revenue growth program or strategy does need resources and budget. So you have to understand what resources and budget you have. Uh, you know, you can't go out there and read somebody else's pitch plan and, and say, hey, we're going to do this, this, and this if you don't have the resources. So you have to understand, you know, what can you afford and then, uh, you know, go after that. Like one of the things is if you don't have a lot of resources, figure out what, what industry, what segment is likely to be your first customer, or your first 10 or your next 100, whatever stage you're in. And then, you know, make a list and focus on that as opposed to going all over, all over the place. So, um, you know, from my perspective, again, uh, knowing what your resources and budget will support is, is, is in my mind, very important. Um, yeah, no, I, I love these, uh, you know, I love that you said strategy and that you need to be agile because you need to be prepared to pivot and turn uh, or head down a pathway and, and, and then back up and, and make a slight turn. Uh, I'm kind of curious of, of what your definition of strategy is. I find sometimes, uh, you know, even when I was learning, you know, to understand strategy, I would get strategy and tactics mixed up. Uh, but I'm curious of your definition of strategy. Well, I, I, I've been in the same boat as you, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I've uh, li literally personally, you know, mis mistaken a bunch of tactics as automatically equaling strategy. And, and I think a lot of, uh, companies do that you know again we have to differentiate b between startups and, and scale-ups and, and and so on but but uh you know that that is a big big uh part of i think where you end up getting a disconnect and so you know basically a strategy is knowing in you know in my mind is who you are you know what you do who you do it for and at the end of the day what is the you know the message the value and uh, you know the benefits and value you deliver the strategy then is how do you get that out and execute against that? And that's, a, to me, you know, it's a combination of having the goals, obviously, because the goals are going to give you those KPIs or, or at least help you identify KPIs. Uh, what are the sub, you know, you, you know, you know, the, the micro conversions along the path to getting, uh, uh, you know, a new customer in the door. Um, you know, but the tactics are, are typically what a lot of people focus on. And sometimes that's what you've got to do. If, you, if, if, if you're going to be, if you're launching quickly and you're, you're, you're an MVP or, or, or beta, um, uh, you know, maybe your strategy is figuring out which tactics are going to get you to the point of being able to develop the actual go forward strategy. Look, how many companies haven't pivoted? Uh, you, you know, there's tons of companies, YouTube, Facebook, Yelp, PayPal, big companies. They're, they did not start out, you know, in terms of what we know them as today, right? They started out as, 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 as something as PayPal, I think it was called Confinity or something like that hmm. originally. And Peter Thiel and, 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 and the, you know, the group, they, you know, PDAs were the rage at the time. So they were trying to develop a, a solution where you could, you know, basically exchange money directly between PDAs and yes. you know it didn't really work out but they pivoted you know, a friend of mine sold a company to his, his private company to a public uh, entity uh, at the end of last year and they ended up pivoting 
you know, a little bit or adding a little bit, uh, not part of their strategy, but they ended up uh, with COVID. It hurt their core business, but they decided because they were in, 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 in you know, health information technology, they were, they actually built out um, a COVID portal and licensed that. And lots of companies, you know, came to the door and they signed up, you know, dozens of new customers, the customer growth got them, you know, uh, to be a target and the public company came in and, and, and acquired them. Um, and, and so, you, you know, fr- from that perspective, um, you know, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of the ideas of the, you know, that I believe in it is you go out with a strategy and that strategy may actually include you pivoting, right? You only have a part of your technology stack, let's say built or your service offering ready, but you're delivering that, but you know, going forward that you're going to be doing something different in a year or two years, once you get funding and once you get traction. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's why, you know, your revenue growth and, and ultimately your, your strategy has to take into, you know, in, into account uh, what's happening there. And, and maybe again, the strategy develops itself over time for these startups. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, you know, you have to be able to be agile if it's going to develop over time and if it's going to grow and change and, you know, you have to be ready to, to pivot because a pivot might be your greatest opportunity. And, and, you know, I think a lot about businesses, uh, that are starting up, you, 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 the best thing you can do is start. And then you may discover something, even if your first idea is bad, you might travel down a couple of different roads and you actually hit on something. So, so with unique, uh, did you guys pivot? Have you pivoted? Uh, from your original idea? Yeah. Yeah, we, we certainly changed a lot of what's happening. You know, the, the background, uh, uh, you know, Murray, our founder, was in the digital publishing space, you know, in the game uh, gaming space. And uh, when, when uh, uh, you know, you know that, that was the, the, the business. It was basically driving people to website and, and monetizing a website, you know, with the content. Um, the technology that we call unique AI right now was actually built in house for the website, but then became actually, you know, more interesting to external people and, and, and companies that that became the company. And based on the digital publishing background, the focus originally was specifically digital publishing, you know, and working within content management systems to surface the content, as, you know, as a series of recommendations. And that drove the company into sort of digital news publishing and ultimately local you know, news publishing. Um, right around the time, things were starting to look really good. All of a sudden, that industry got decimated. You know, just people weren't willing to take their their, their, their paid print subscription and pay as much for a digital. And many wouldn't even pay, dig- you know, for a digital subscription. And even to this day, a lot of people feel that, uh, you know, their, their digital news should be free, right? Um, you know, not understanding the model behind it. There's still journalists that have to be paid and so on. So that, you know, just before I came and joined the company, we were in a, in a bit of a conundrum because we were going after a target audience that wasn't able to afford to spend money on this, even though our customers are saying that this worked. There was ROI potentially at the end of the day, but they just didn't have the budgets. So when I came in, I have a lot of background with retail and, you know, uh, uh, you know, B2C companies and, and, and e-commerce. And so, you know, I've done work with Canadian Tire, Home Depot, Expedia Canada, uh, Sears Canada, lots of big uh, e-commerce companies. And so we start looking at, you know, this core technology works awesome, but who will pay and derive value, you know, uh, and directly uh, get value out of it. And, and, you know, everything pointed to e-commerce. And, and that's why in 2019, when we were asked, we joined the, um, uh, 
the, the 2019 uh, L'Oreal Canada Innovation Challenge, and they're actually running one right now. I think it's already closed to entries, but they're running one uh, this year as well. But we basically uh, proved out the value proposition, and then uh, through a proof of concept, you know, out of the 163 companies evaluated, we were one of the five that ended up getting a paid proof of concept. And through that proof of concept, uh, you know, we were put up against uh, Salesforce, Commerce Cloud, Marketing Cloud, and Einstein AI. Like yeah, you know, within days we had uh, improvements, and uh, and and I, I think you know that's uh, uh, at, at the end at the end of the day, you know, our pivot was maybe to to add a market or focus on another market while still being able to you know support the previous market, but that market wasn't going to be profitable for us. Interesting. Yeah, you got you got to go where the money is, uh, which which kind of brings me to. Uh, one of your other points about having resources and, and budget. Uh, and, and I also think it's kind of tied into testing and optimizing. Cause I think, you know, when you, when people say test everything, people try to test everything, but they don't have the resources and budget to manage it and to actually put enough data behind it. Uh, so, you know, you, you need to have some sort of budget and then work within the scope of that for your testing uh, and your optimizing uh, for, for your campaigns to actually help them be successful uh, so when you, when you think of resources, cause for me, you know, I always think of time, money, and people, uh, that's really what you have to work with. If you don't have any money, you're not going to be able to go out and, you know, buy ads or spend money or hire people. Uh, and sometimes if those people are full with work, they don't have the time, uh, to do things. So I'm just curious if you can kind of just dive in a little bit on your experience and, uh, how you've dealt with that at Unique, because I'm assuming you didn't have just an unlimited budget to do whatever you wanted. No, <laughs> I don't think I don't think anybody has an unlimited no. budget. I, I've sold, you know, I've I've sold when I was at Oracle. I, I sold to the you know six top banks in Canada and 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 a number of big companies who are very profitable. But there was always uh, budget uh, constraints, and, uh, and and you know everyone's asking for money, and then you've got shareholders who expect uh, you know the shares to go up, and the um, uh, uh, you know they want to be paid at the end of the day. So uh, yeah, so interestingly, I think it, it, the answer really depends on where you are. Are you a uh, are you a pure startup with you know just a founder team? You know, are are you ten people? Are you fifty? And so on. Um, I love this idea of fractional CMOs. Uh, I've talked to, you know, I belong to something called Lunch Club, and, and I've met a number of fractional CMOs. And the best ones are the ones that know who they work for. And many of them will work for, you know, you, you know at, at the MVP level, maybe seed up to A, but not beyond, you know, not beyond A. If somebody's uh, gotten B, they'll step away because by that time you should have enough, uh, you know, budget to have a, uh, you know, Ahead of marketing, you know, maybe ahead of acquisition, and so on and so forth. Um, so, you know, for a smaller company, though, um, the question really is, where do you put the resources? And, and often, that sales and marketing um, falls under one person. So, in, in, in my case, it became, you know, the chief revenue officer's role, but also everybody else's role to be a part, of, a part of that. You know, a big part of, of my belief is you outsource. So, if 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 you're the CRO and you need to sell. Right. Um, it, it's going to be tough for you to also have to do all of the cold calling and all the LinkedIn outreach. So yeah, instead, it, 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 it's important, to, I think, to out, outsource to companies that do this, you know, 24 uh, seven, uh, whether it's uh, offshoring or, or, or using people in Canada who are doing this all the time. And 
you know, I, I think to make, and I, I'm guilty of having some failures in that too, because you bring them in, you're so busy in all these things and say, well, go out and, you know, here's a high level of who, you know, what companies we do deal with, we target and who we, you know, talk to at these companies and you, you give it to them. And it's like, there are no results. It's because you don't know yourself exactly who your customer is or should be and who the contacts are. And, and, and I, I give this advice to, 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 you know, a few people that I'm mentoring right now in the sales uh, space, uh, like SaaS sales spaces, you really have to understand who, if you have no customers, make a list of the 10 or 25 cust- companies you think will be, is mo- are most likely to be your first two or three customers and just go after them and then find out why they're going to buy or why not. And if they're not going to buy, uh, then, then, you know, find out who might, but until you know that don't outsource, but you have to figure out how to sell the first couple of ones yourself. Then you replicate. And that's where the testing and uh, tracking, um, really helps because if you know what's working and not working, you can then replicate that. Um, you know, I, I've come into a sales organizations where, where, where the only person closing deals was this, the founder and CEO, mm-hmm. but that's because I sat in on sales calls or in sales meetings and the message was always different. And so how can you bring in a sales rep or, you know, an SDR, a sales development rep, and allow them to do a good job if, if everything is being made up on the fly? So I think, again, <laughs> um, how I succeeded, how I failed, well, the failure comes in really not knowing who you're – you can have a target audience. It doesn't matter. It's who is going to buy from you and who is accepting your message. And if nobody is, then you have to change the message and the audience. Uh, once you figure that out, I'm a big believer in outsource, you know, outsource as much as you can short term. Uh, um, you know, if, if, if I'm the only person selling, I should be closing business and dealing with, you know, partners and, you know, the SDR stuff should be outsourced. Uh, and, and even if you can only at that, you know, four to thousand bucks a month, that is still going to get you uh, meetings and, uh, and, and prospects. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like this idea of, of bringing in a CMO. I see a lot of, you know, startups and they're, you know, well, we only have X, so we'll just bring in a junior marketer that's really hungry. And sometimes those junior marketers are great, but they can't think on a strategic level, right? And so you can pay a little bit, maybe the same amount, but get someone that's more senior that comes in with ideas and experience and, and helps you actually uh, grow your business. And, and I really love your point about understanding your market, like know who that ideal client is, or those, as you said, like 25 or so ideal clients, the ones that are most likely to buy from you. And I think this is becoming more and more important in marketing specifically, where as, as we lose some of the data and pixel tracking and some of the remarketing capabilities, we're really going to have to understand our customers and who they are and what their challenges and motivations are. And it kind of goes back to, you know, maybe the the Mad Men era of marketing where we had to actually understand them and then speak to them and not worry so much about whether we could track their whole journey uh, and attribute it back to the original platform, to the final platform and, you know, where they actually purchased and, and every step along the way. So I think that's a really important point uh, for both sales and marketing. And, and that's the thing is I always say they have to work together at sales and marketing, not sales versus marketing or sales or marketing It's sales and marketing. Uh, and they really need to, to work together. So I appreciate all those points uh, that you brought forward. Uh, if we could just jump into uh, Unique for a second, because uh, I'm assuming with this personalization feature, uh, things can be really great and the ex- experience can be amazing, but I think sometimes it could potentially go the wrong way. Can you talk a little bit about the, kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of personalization uh, and where it goes right, and then maybe also where it could possibly go wrong? Yeah, for, for sure. Um, yeah, so... 
I would say like my second year of selling email marketing, you know, we started getting into things like, can I make a list of customers versus non-customers and send slightly different content, right? So, you know, you can call that personalization. I call it segment segmentation, but you're personalizing the messaging to a segment. So, you know, in my world, and maybe I'm a little jaded because I've been, you know, working, I've worked with sale through dynamic yield, um, you know, certainly now uh, unique AI, and they all have used AI in different ways to, to automate the personalization of the content that's being served up, whether it's an email or, or on the website. So, you know, let's start with, to me, good, uh, uh, you know, good personalization starts with relevance, right? And the relevance to drive engagement, not the relevance to get a purchase, unless, of course, you're selling a $5.95 a month subscription to something you know, on the Shop- Shopify app store. But if you're selling anything you know, of a higher value, you've got to engage before you try to convert. And I think you know, the, the whole point of engagement we talked about before is so important. And then it's a series of micro-conversions. And to do that, um, I'm a big believer that, that the idea of marketing journey, journeys or journeys for customers is very marketing biased. Marketers look at historical information and you know, look at historical journeys and you know, presume that those eight journeys are going to be what everybody else takes. But with all of the, you know, the inputs from all the social media and all the content out there, if you've got a million prospects, you probably have at least 100,000, if not you know, uh, a half a million different journeys. Journey. So you need something that can automate that a little bit and learn. Um, so the good, you know, I would say what we do at Unique AI is the good uh, type of personalization. Um, you know, uh, bad personalization, I think, is when you have very large uh, groups, uh, very large segments. The problem is you can't just hyper uh, you know, segment because then it's like, you know, journeys. When I, uh, when I was leaving exact target, we were launching journey builder, which is the idea of building these journeys. But some people were talking, Oh, you know, we'll build 50 or hundred journeys. You can't do that because they need to build the content for that. So you ended up with four or six or eight or 10, 12 journeys. And, you know, one for customers, one for really good customers, one for new people who just signed up and so on. And again, very marketing bias. So, you know, the idea of mass personalization, you know, Understand that the personalization and segmentation aren't necessarily the same thing. I, I find personalization is at the person level, segmentation is at the segment level, but segmentation can be done well. So for me, I don't think segmentation, where you're doing male versus female or customers versus uh, non-customers, is necessarily personalization. Um, you know, and you know the idea of hyper-personalization, where you're trying to manually create the rules. Um, um, I think personalization can go really wrong that way. But the ugly part of personalization, and I think you know, you may have seen this in the last you know 14, 15 months with with, with you know less networking, less events, is what happens on LinkedIn. You're buying, you're, you're subscribing to tools that allow you to now automate the process of you know doing 100 uh, LinkedIn requests a day, you know up to 250 total touches, another 150 messages. And I've had ones that literally say, dear blank. I've had people talking about, oh, since you're in this industry, no, I'm not in the real estate industry. I'm not a real estate broker. And somehow, you know, you, you've got the average sales rep out there trying to be personalized. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of business leaders who would be target audience in terms of connecting with to, to, to sell, uh, you know, media or whatever. And they no longer accept new LinkedIn requests unless mm. they actually know them. So they're hurting it for everybody else. So I think the ugly part of personalization is this highly automated LinkedIn quantity over quality. So ultimately, you know, I think 
a lot of the bad personalization can get better um, if they just look at, 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 you know, properly communicating with segments and then using technology, whether it's unique AI or similar stuff. And then I think personalizing to anonymous, uh, the anonymous audience is much more different, is different than personalizing to, you know, that top 1% of your customers who you know, and you have a lot of information about. So I think that can be done very well by a lot of tools out there. And there's, you know, there's dozens, if not, you know, 50 plus uh, tools out there and, and, and e-commerce platforms and CMSs that can do that. You know, our, the difference with unique is that we focus on, on, on something that almost no one else actually touches. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think a lot of people are going to have to start, you know, engaging with, you know, this personalization tool and, you know, building out marketing automation and understanding that and, and you know, doing their best to do it correctly. Uh, I'm kind of curious of, of what's what's the future for Unique and, and what's the future, you know, for yourself as, as CRO uh, at Unique? Yeah, so, so you know, our, our plans... Uh, uh, we're kind of scuttled in 2020. Uh, originally, uh, we, we leveraged the uh, great results we had in the, the L'Oreal Innovation Challenge. And we actually, uh, you know, and this is public information. So we actually signed an agreement to merge with a company, uh, Public Shell uh, in Canada, and uh, we were going to do a reverse takeover. We'd raised some money last uh, year, so in 2021, uh, 2020, January, February. And everything was going really nicely, but you know, March 13th, the uh, the um, borders closed, and the following week, the markets uh, crashed, and you know, we lost a lot of that, you know, uh, investor support. And we're, you know, at, at this point now, we're trying to replace that. So for us, you know, the technology is solid. We still need to uh, you know develop uh, some components of it in terms of, of, of the front end and the back end. But, uh, you know, as a pure black box solution, it's a, it, it, it works very well. And I've seen a lot of these solutions out there. So uh, I've seen the results of it. So, you know, we're out there looking for some investment and obviously, uh, you know, looking for customers that are, are willing to, to let a black box solution control some of their uh, content and personalization. Uh, and interestingly, you know, through our own kind of uh, rudimentary research and looking at, at, at the data coming off the back end, you know, um, when we talk to a lot of marketers, and this is the sales versus marketing, you know, this is marketers thinking they know the customer, you know, uh, just anecdotally, um, you know, nine times out of 10, the AI will outperform a marketer's gut feel or the marketer's uh, own decision. And, and, you know, the one time, that, time out of 10, it's usually to a very small segment or a micro segment, maybe that, you know, top 1% of customers or so on. You know, but when we do the math at the end of the day, where the AI, you know, beats out human inter uh, intervention nine out of 10 times, that one time that human intervention wins, it's not enough to offset all of the, the you know, the AI wins. And I think, for a lot of marketers, it's tough to let, uh, you know, uh, machine learning take over some of the stuff they, you know, they're doing. But I think that goes back to tactics and strategy. You know, should these marketers be focusing on individual tactics and 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 you know, going out there and creating, uh, you know, journeys and so on, or should they allow the technology to do a lot of that automation, do what it's good at, and then the marketers themselves, at least the senior marketers, you know, worry about the strategy, worry about how to execute, you know, worry about how to, to, to get more sales and marketing alignment, especially in, in, in the B2B world. So, you know, for, 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 uh, for the future, I, I, I think, you know, everybody's going to be impacted by AI. And I think, you know, sales and marketing and, and the, the SaaS and tech world, I think it's going to be more so than anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
it's certainly a, an interesting time. And, you know, COVID has thrown a wrench in a lot of people's plans. Uh, you know, some, some good, some bad. Uh, you know, I think more probably so on, on the bad side, unfortunately. But uh, it's uh, an interesting time. But I think there's a ton of opportunity and things are certainly changing for the AI and automation space. And, and hopefully, you know, coming out of COVID, we can, uh, we can get to a better place and start to grow uh, significantly uh, again. So, um, well, Stefan, it's been great to have you uh, on the podcast. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, kind of curious of, of where people can uh, find or follow you or check check out Unique or uh, uh, learn a little bit more about you and uh, and what you're up to. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I've been on more podcasts uh, in the last 12, 14 months than I have been in my whole career prior to that, both because podcasts are more popular, but I think, you know, this is the way, uh, you know, uh, this is the way as a Mandalorian would say. Uh, yeah. So, so obviously I'm on LinkedIn, my name, uh, you know, S T E F A N last name E Y R A M. That's probably the best place to find me. Um, unique, you know, it's Y O U N E E Q A I.com. Uh, you know, in, in Victoria where you are. Um, and, uh, you know, just as, as an add on here, uh, I, I'm actually in the process of move, moving uh, away from unique AI. I think my, my job is done here and uh, I, I'm in the process of uh, I'm doing a little bit of consulting right now for some some companies, you know, uh, uh, a company in the demand generation space who is actually doing this outsourced work for uh, a few companies, uh, you know, including software companies and, and uh, tech hardware companies. Uh, and, you know, working with a, a, a few different um, uh, agencies right now in terms of helping them understand, uh, uh, you know, AI in terms of uh, automated personalization uh, and certainly looking for my next, uh, uh, you know, next opportunity. Still an investor, still an advisor with Unique and uh, still wish them, uh, wish them well. And I'm still working with some uh, potential partners in terms of, uh, you know, uh, SI and distribution deals. Awesome. Well, it's an interesting uh, time for you and I, I wish you all the best and uh, uh, all the best to Unique as well as you're staying on there and uh, hope to see them grow uh, further in, in 2021 and, and beyond. So uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really appreciate all your insights and uh, knowledge uh, over your 20 year uh, career uh, in the SaaS and, and tech marketing space and uh, just really been really great to have you on the podcast. So thank you. Yeah. And thank you. And uh, as I, have been saying for the last, you know, 12, 14 months, uh, stay positive, test negative. That's great. Yeah. You too. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Jetstream podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. If you have a revenue growth story to share, email us info at jetstream.agency. We might have you on the show.